This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. Pat and Stu, triple eight seven two seven back eight 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 seven two seven B E C K. I like this little battle. Uh, we got uh, a really nice uh, uh, Stu segment coming up here. Wonderful world of uh, Stu. This from, one's actually really it, cool. A lot of people. Have, uh, yeah, it's a really cool interview. Last Great. week or uh, when did this happen? Yes, it happened last <clears throat> week. It's. Um, I, won't, I won't talk about it too much. Just to give you the topic: uh, the Nazi Titanic. Sounds really good. It's. An awesome story, okay. a great book, and uh, we talked to the author of it. Don't spoil we'll, it. We'll Nobody's seen it yet. But I'm really pissed off. I'm really pissed <laughs> off about this, uh, uh, about the Weather Channel. I hate the Weather Channel. I, these guys are climate change douchebags. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I... I love them. It, it, one of them was... Was it an anchor? Do you remember this a couple of years ago? She was saying... Maybe it was last year or yeah. year before... Say people should Heidi be put Collins. in jail over it. I mean, if Heidi you Collins. if you're a denier, you go to jail. I believe she was the one who was saying uh, only Pat that they uh, get removed from the American Meteorological Association um, uh, or society. Is it society? Oh, good golly! I'm getting the, the associations and societies confused. Um, but yeah, she was actually advocating that they essentially not be allowed to be meteorologists. I think the guy you're talking about from another climate website who's saying they needed to go to prison. Okay, maybe. Uh, but maybe. whatever. I mean, we can all unite. Is something bad needs to happen to all of them? Yes. Um, so anyway, you know we're not Breitbart fans, but Breitbart uh, columnist James Dellingpole ran a. Uh, I like weather James. Ch- uh, I don't know him, but I mean, I like some of the stuff he's written over the years. He ran a Weather Channel video, and he's just showing that climate change isn't real. And the ca- so the cable stand, so the Weather Channel goes crazy, and they uh, posted this note to Breitbart: Earth is not cooling, climate change is real, and please stop yeah. using our video to mislead Americans. Well, what's the evidence? Uh, they never present any. The Earth is not. So you just say the Earth is not cooling, and that means it's not cooling. First of all, it has not been warming for about 20 years, and almost every measurement agrees with that. Now, the satellite photos, the satellite temperatures showed cooling this last year. Um, In fact, pretty significant cooling in the past year. Uh, But I'm sure they'll come up with surface temperatures that are hotter than they've ever been in the history of the world because they do it every year. And they, they've got this down to a science where they know where to place these things. They manipulate data. 
they change data from the past and make it uh, cooler than it was so it looks hotter now. I mean, they do all these tricks to make it look like like we're in some sort of catastrophic situation. And Breitbart was just ar- arguing the fact that global land temperatures have plummeted by one degree Celsius since the middle of the year, which is what the satellite uh, temperature showed. Um, and and now the Weather Channel is going is going crazy over it. Right. Like, I mean, what happened was, I guess, because of a content sharing um, situation, um, <clears throat> Breitbart was able to legally use the Weather Channel um, video. And what they put around it was like so the Weather Channel didn't say, well, no, the Earth is not cooling in the video. They just made a point a, a, an observation about the data. Which then Breitbart used to make their point, which was, hey, it's global warming isn't that big of a deal. It's been cooling. Um, so they didn't say the Weather Channel said that. They just said, uh, mm-hmm. here is our point. Uh, uh, you know, it was it was a Breitbart person who just had the video and, and used it to make their point, and that's what the Weather Channel didn't like. They didn't they didn't say that the Breitbart misreported the s- sentences they said inside the the uh the video they actually ga- they actually put the video on the in the story they just didn't like the idea that they uh, took conclusions that were different from what they believe and by the way this comes at a time when 25 climate scientists have written new papers uh confirming a stable modern climate fewer intense storms hurricanes fewer droughts fewer floods fewer fires that's pretty much the opposite of what we're continually told. Because if when you go to the when you go to the fact that we haven't had a major hurricane in 11 years, not one major hurricane has made landfall in the United States in 11 years, not since uh, you know Katrina. Um, you go to that fact. Well, they then they say, well, wh- wh- there's floods, and, and fires, and, and droughts are out of control, and the fact is they're not. None of those things are true. They're all either stable and, in some cases, uh, actually decreasing. decreasing. And, like, tornadoes? Yeah, tornadoes. Uh, tornadic activity is the lowest it's been in the last decade at least, and they say it may go back even further than that. Uh, hurricanes, obviously, have been obviously uh, down considerably. Um, you know, droughts, and, and fi- you hear a lot about droughts these days, but the uh, average <clears throat> land area in a drought has actually completely been stable over the past, you know, half century. Um, you know, uh, really, we, I mean, we've I shown you these charts and, prove their point. and I, don't think, I really don't. I mean, we have them handy anymore. It's been a while since we first showed you. But I mean, like, you look at all of these things, all of them, and there is just nothing to it. No. Now, that does not mean that the Earth has not warmed, you know, a half a degree to a degree. Um, well, we've talked about that many measure. times. Yeah, I mean, that doesn't. In the last 100 of, years, it's, it's, it's the not that it's de- gone up a little bit. Yeah, the debate is oh, not no. necessarily. I mean, because, you know, we do actually have pretty good measurements, um, and satellites are the ones that you would depend on. They have the, the most accurate and obviously the best technology to, to, to measure the temperature. They have showed less warming, so they're less. Uh, they're not um, typically uh, as uh, highly cited as the surface stations and uh, other measures of temperature. Which, which is kind of amazing because you'd think the other opposite would be true. Um, you know, if uh, mm-hmm. yeah, we came up with satellites to measure temperature, and it's a much easier way to get an actual average global temperature because obviously most of the temperature um, uh, surface station uh, locations are on land. Well, I don't know if people have noticed it. There's, a, there's some areas that aren't land on the globe. What? Yeah, several. Are you there's, kidding? Yeah, there's a lake somewhere. <clears throat> there's a huge puddle uh, like in, to, in, in the like Walmart parking lot right now. I'd like right to now. see the lake sometime. 
That yeah, would be, I mean, that would be incredible. It's just you know, there's only one. So, <laughs> uh, um, I mean, there's a lot of o- ocean area that is not. You know, in the the temperature in that location is never measured. Uh, you know, many, they're all clustered in not only in uh, on land, but in on land of um, developed countries, largely. Based on everything we're told, what would you say is the most frequent major tornado year? we've had in the last 40 years if uh i mean you'd think you'd think it'd be really recent last right? five years for sure yeah 1973 1973 when we had about 130 major that's ef3 and higher uh tornadoes um this year we had uh 20 20 this past which one year. now which one 20. is bigger 20 or 100 and uh <clears throat> jeffy uh can you do that math because uh, i is 130 greater than 20, or is 20 greater than 130? Um, I'm confused. Yeah, we can't figure it out. Yeah. So they Those might be right. Rates. They might be right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, the last time it was even higher than, uh, let's see, that went to 60, 70, 80, about 82 in 2011. There were 82. Still not as high as 1973. And in between, there were much lower years. Uh, so... Tornadoes is another thing they, they use all the time because there are a lot of tornadoes. We get hundreds of them a year. But that's normal. That happens. We don't want them, but they happen. And so because they're, they're fairly frequent and they make the news when they, when they hit you know, a populated area, you, you think, well, okay, yeah, we must be hit, getting hit with them all the time. But we're not. I mean, there are hundreds, 483, I think, uh, yeah, four. Okay, the year finished with 481 tornadoes, EF1 or greater, and that's the fourth year in a row it's been below average. Fourth year in a row that's below average. So even at a category one and above, we've had less. So yeah, and and by the way, the category one stuff is not is not very well measured going back in time. Um, the issue with looking at overall number of tornadoes going back in history is that back in history, they did not detect ones and twos all that often. In, in, in 1875, uh, if a hurricane, if an EF1 tornado went through a field and did no damage, no one reported it. Mm-hmm. We didn't have the detection um, ability. That's why they talk, constantly talk about EF3s and higher, because, you know, an EF3 pretty much is hard to, to miss. Um, you know, it'll, it'll do something pretty significant almost every time. Um, and that's why, uh, you know, many liberals have intentionally used the EF1 and above numbers because they know that it's going to help their their ability to uh, project to the audience uh, a huge increase due to global warming when it's patently ridiculous to measure them, um, measure uh, small tornadoes that just didn't go detected often back in those days. I mean, I, well, of course not. Right. Uh, it's no knock on the people of 1879. I mean, it just, they just wasn't didn't have priority. really great technology back then. Right. And it's so it's, it's like not adjusting something for inflation. It's that bad. Yeah. You know, it's like, obviously, you know that this is the wrong thing to do. You're doing it because you want to fool your audience uh, into something that's, uh, you know, not true. And it's pathetic. Jeff? We were, well, I was just saying we were asking a question here on the feed. And while it sets a bad precedent, it does uh, lend itself to interesting thought. Uh, can the entire channel be inducted into the hall? 
Oh, wow. Oh. What a const- that's a great constitutional argument. That sure yeah. is. Um, and I, I, to me, my belief is no. Like, for example, yeah. uh, time person of the year is uh, the people. It's no. kind of a, it's kind it, of a it, cop it, out. It's a cop out. Right. Um, so I think but we have to a use good, It's a good thought. It's a good thought. It though. is a good it's thought. It's a good thought. These we'll are good constitutional discussions. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. So your uh, wonderful world of, of stew yeah. interview. You want to talk about uh, Nazi Titanic? Mm-hmm. Uh, Nazi Titanic. Um, I, you need to say more than that to get you interested. It's the freaking Titanic and Nazis. Wow. Well, it's actually not the Titanic, but the Nazis had their own version of one. Watch. Interrupt this program to bring you. We return you now to your regular program. You know you work for Glenn Beck when your Kindle is 99% filled with books, including the word Nazi in the title. Just one of the many strange perks of the job. The Nazis are an endless source of atrocious and strange history. One of the most bizarre Nazi stories involves one of the worst maritime disasters in history. Here to explain is the author of The Nazi Titanic, Dr. Robert Watson. Uh, Doctor, thanks for coming on the program. My pleasure, Stu. Thanks for the interest. This is an incredible story. I, I cannot believe there hasn't been 12 movies made about this story. Um, and your book is, it tells a fascinating tale about this ship that really kind of went through three distinct phases in its life. Can you talk about how it started? Yeah. So at the end of World War One, uh, Germany was devastated, of course, not only from the war, but economic ruin. But the Germans loved their ships. And almost all their ships were either sunk or confiscated by the victors. So what the Germans did after the war was they decided to build the world's greatest ship. Uh, the companies Blum and Voss and Hamburg South America, both companies still operate out of Hamburg today. They decided they would make a new Titanic. So they even studied the Titanic for design flaws. They reinforced the hull, put more lifeboats on it, for example. And in 1927, they launched this ship. It was called the Cap Arcona, named for Cape Arcone, which is a cape in north central Germany on the southern Baltic coast. And it was the finest, most celebrated ship afloat. It made 93 transatlantic crossings. Wherever it went to port, people would line up like it was the red carpet to see this famous Nazi Titanic. Uh, A-list actors like Clark Gable sailed on it, monarchs from around the world. So this, uh, this ship was quite something in the 20s and 30s. Okay, so Cap Arcona, obviously, World War II breaks out, and Mm -hmm. there's not as much time for vacations anymore. (laughs) So it really kind of takes on a whole new life cycle. What's next? It does. So in 1939, the Nazis invaded Poland, and uh, the port of Gdynia, which is on the north Polish coast, the Germans changed the name to Gottenhofen. And there they sent the ship, and they took all the fancy... Persian carpets and chandeliers and gold, and they took all the uh, luxuries out of it. And it sat rusting, and it was used as a floating naval training barracks and a, uh, uh, a cadet school, if you will, like, like a dorm for cadets. And there it sat obscure until the year 1942, when something absolutely nuts happened. Hitler has the secret meeting with Joseph Goebbels. And Hitler says to Goebbels, the war is going poorly by 1942. Thank God for us. Ultimately, they came up with the idea. They would make the world's most dastardly epic propaganda film. And it would make the world hate the Allies 
and love the Nazis. And the movie they decided to make, the mother of all movies, was going to be the Titanic, only they were going to make the Nazi Titanic. And they had a star for the movie, the ship, the Nazi Titanic. It's amazing. Even as they were seemingly hours away from losing this war, they kept going back to this well over and over and over again, thinking they could essentially entertainment themselves out of this crisis. It's really fascinating. You're absolutely right. You know, here they are in the midst of a war, and yet Hitler and Goebbels would reassign entire military units to be extras for a movie. They'd assign some of their best engineers not to armament production, but to designing sets for movies. Hitler and Goebbels and their crew would sit up at night and watch back to back to back three Hollywood movies. In fact, as best as I could tell, the three movies they watched the most, King Kong, Gone with the Wind, and you're not going to believe this, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. <laughs> Hitler loved it. It made him cry. They would watch the movie over and over and over. No way. Wait a minute. You're telling me. You're telling me Hitler, Goebbels, <laughs> and all the big aides are sitting around watching Snow White together? Yeah, Walt Disney, Snow White. Well, if you remember, uh, I have kids, so I watched it several years ago with my kids a hundred times. Snow White, I think it took place in uh, Black Forest, and Snow White was a German maiden. So that was their favorite movie. They watched it all the time. So Hitler tells Goebbels to stop making these ham-fisted, juvenile, obvious propaganda movies. He wants them to make an action, romance, drama, the trifecta, the hat trick. And he wants it to be like... Uh, Casablanca. So that's when they redo the Titanic. So long before James Cameron's epic Titanic with DiCaprio, there was an epic Nazi Titanic propaganda film. And how was it received by the Nazis? Well, this was the movie to end all movies. It was supposed to be the mother of all films. Joseph Goebbels said, Goebbels said it would be the greatest movie ever made. Hitler intended for it to change the very course of the war. And Hitler and Goebbels also were so ambitious that uh, they had another objective for the movie. And that was this, because Hollywood made the world's best movies. And Hitler and Goebbels said that to their horror, they realized that most of the directors, producers, cinematographers, actors were Jewish. They wanted to declare a new war against Jewish Hollywood, quote unquote. So this movie was going to help them launch what they called Hollywood on the Rhine. So Goebbels sits down and watches this movie and he's horrified. Why? The director was supposed to put all this Nazi propaganda into the movie. He did, but guess what else he did? He put anti-Nazi propaganda. The movie is basically a story about a fanatical captain, Hitler, who leads his innocent people, the people of Germany, on a ship into an iceberg, read World War II. So Goebbels orders all copies of the film destroyed, banned. Fortunately, some pirated copies made it to Prague and to Paris. And today we still have copies of this movie and you can watch it with the English subtitles. That's incredible. Incredible. The ship is done with the movie now. Uh, what happens next? So a couple of things happened, but to cut to the, to the most gruesome part, in 1945, in the spring of 45, Hitler issues his infamous liquidation decree. He wants all folks in the concentration camps killed, the camps destroyed, the papers destroyed, doesn't want any evidence. So uh, while he's doing that, Heinrich Himmler, who is the head of the Gestapo, the SS, he contacts concentration camp commandants and he countermands Hitler's order. Shockingly, mm. he says, don't kill everyone. Instead, just don't let them fall into enemy hands. So what Heinrich Himmler wants, 
He instructs concentration camp, camp commandants to march tens of thousands of Holocaust survivors all the way north to the Baltic coast. And there, he wants them to load up on a ship. And what ship does he pick? Of course, the Nazi Titanic, the pride of the Third Reich, Hitler's favorite ship. Now, why does he order all these folks on the ship? Heinrich Himmler wants to get on the ship with them. He's so delusional that he believes he can sail the ship to London, meet with Churchill, General Montgomery, or Ike, and he wants to exchange all these prisoners for his own life. From his bunker uh, deep underground in Berlin, the Fuhrer Adolf Hitler hears and learns that Himmler's cutting a deal. So Hitler sends two assassins, not one but two, uh, famous German air aces. He sends both these guys to kill Himmler. So Himmler changes his uniform, makes a fake ID, and goes on the run for his life. Hitler kills himself. Joseph Goebbels kills himself in the bunker uh, April 30th, uh, uh, 45. So the ship's sitting there. So there's two Nazis at the coast of the Baltic coast, a guy named Karl Kaufmann with a K and a K. He's the top Nazi party official and a Gestapo official named Count George von Basevitz Bear. These two guys say, what are we going to do? We're out of food. The British are closing in. We've got thousands of people piled up at the port. We don't want all these prisoners here. They're dying hundreds and thousands by day. We got thousands on board this Nazi Titanic where they're dying by day. So they come up with a plan. Let's put everyone on the ship. Let's take all the lifeboats and life jackets off the ship. Let's fill the ship with fuel. And right when we have to surrender, let's blow the ship up and sink it. We will therefore scuttle the ship and deny the Allies from getting Hitler's favorite ship. Uh, we will destroy all evidence of the Holocaust and the world will forget the Titanic because it will always remember the Nazi Titanic because so many more people will die on board. That's the plan. Right when they're ready to execute the plan, British special forces hit the Baltic coast, the Bay of Lubeck and the town of Neustadt, N-E-U-S-T-A-D-T. It's the British Sixth Commando. It's a special forces unit, and the strike was called in by an intelligence officer named Ian Fleming, who would go on to write the James Bond novels. So the British make quick work of the Nazis, and as they're liberating the port, a lot of people at the port are yelling, you've got to go out to that giant ship, which was floating three kilometers off the coast. The Nazi Titanic was so big, it couldn't even anchor, it couldn't dock. It had to drop anchor way out three kilometers. So while they're negotiating the end of the war and the British are looking out at the ship, figuring, OK, we need to go out and rescue these folks. But first, the Nazis have to sign the peace. They hear this deafening roar. They look upward and the sky blackens from six entire squadrons of British bombers. They fly into the Baltic and they target. They open up on the Nazi Titanic. Mm. They blow the ship out of the water. It creates such a concussion blast that it knocks people over three kilometers away. Remember, this is a ship the size of the Titanic, filled with fuel, hit by not one, two, three, but six squadrons, not six planes, six squadrons. Each squadron was flying about eight or nine planes. Uh, it blows the ship out of the water. The ship comes down, starts sinking. Thousands die instantly. Thousands are blown into the water. These are Holocaust prisoners who survived the camps. They survived the death march to the Baltic, and they survived days on board without food or water. This is the single bloodiest hour of the entire Holocaust. It's the world's worst instance of friendly fire, because it was the British Royal Air Force. 
It's the, the history's most tragic maritime disaster and the last incident of World War II, all rolled up in one. The British were so horrified at what they did when they realized that they killed thousands and thousands and thousands of Holocaust prisoners that they ordered all the papers, the military reports, the photographs, everything sealed and classified top secret. They put it in the basement of the Royal Archives in London, and there it was to be classified as top secret until the year 2045, making it a 100-year secret. Wow. I, you're not going to believe this when I tell this to you, but we are just scratching the surface of what is in this book. It's incredible detail, and the story, as you can tell, is one of the most amazing you're ever going to hear in history. Dr. Robert Watson, an amazing story. Thanks so much for writing this book and coming on the program. Thanks, Stu. It's my pleasure. Isn't that wow. like seriously one of the most incredible stories you've ever and horrifying. heard? Horrifying. I know. It's awful. Has it really? It had three Jeez. real acts in it, in which you have, you know, kind of the beginning where it's this great achievement, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Then it goes on to this bizarre movie history where they think they're making the actual mm-hmm. Titanic movie, and then like they're making this great, you know, typical Nazi propaganda, and then ends in horror, absolute abject horror. How, if it was supposed to be classified for a hundred years, how this happened that we know about it? I'm trying to think if we, if we cover that or not. I know. Um, Maybe. Well, you just scratched the surface of the book, Stu, so maybe you could you know, dig a little bit deeper and let us know. <laughs> you know, we should really do a segment every day, Pat, <laughs> in which we take segments from Jeffy's stupid radio show and, uh, and, and pick them apart I from the mistakes that he makes. That's a really good idea, actually. That's a good idea. Mm. I will be fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, triple eight seven two seven. You want to be prepared for uh, disaster if disaster strikes. And you know, sometimes they're just little disasters. Sometimes they're bigger ones. Sometimes, you know, uh, a weather event will happen. You'll be down for three days, and the stores will be closed. Uh, an- another time, it might be a week. You know, you might lose your job for a while. There are all kinds of things, you know, besides huge terror strikes or national disasters. Sometimes you just work with someone horrible. Uh, Like every day, uh, in our case. Uh, But anyway, when you have really terrible things. (laughs) <laughs> when you have terrible things that happen to you um, or can happen to your family, you need to be prepared for them. Mm-hmm. No one wants to think about this stuff. No one wants to think about having to use insurance policies. But that's kind of what this is. It's, a, it's an insurance policy for your family to be able to eat. Uh, and you can take control and ensure you have a long-term emergency food supply on hand for you and your family with My Patriot Supply. My Patriot Supply will get you prepared. Four weeks of really great food, easy to prepare food for $99. Not a bunch of buckets, not a bunch of wheat that you gotta hand grind if anything bad happens. No, it's all, it's there, you add water, you warm it up a little bit, and it's delicious. Yep. If, and it lasts up to 25 years. $99 for a four-week supply. Not bad. 888-411-5290. 888-411-5290. It's a great deal. It's an entire month of food for you. And you can pick up a couple for your family as well. Preparewiththeblaze.com. It's preparewiththeblaze.com. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645.
It is the uh, 75th anniversary of Pearl Harbor, a day that will live in infamy, and it certainly has. Uh, December 7, 1941. A lot of uh, things uh, people say don't wind up panning out. That one did. That it did live really in did. It really did. Yeah. They actually called that one really well. <laughs> he called that well. Mm. Uh, or the people who wrote that speech for him did, at least. The, uh, today is that day, and uh, it left 2,403 Americans dead. Of course, propelled the country into World War II. Just a, like we said the other day, it was just a sunny day. Just a beautiful morning, uh, five minutes to eight. Uh, by the time the attacks on Pearl Harbor and other military bases were over, 21 ships were sunk or damaged, and more than 300 aircraft damaged or destroyed. 4,000 people are expected to attend a commemoration ceremony at Pearl Harbor. Uh, and then, I think we mentioned this the other day, too, Japanese Prime Minister uh, Shinzo Abe will uh, not attend the ceremony, but will visit Pearl Harbor with Obama at the end of December. And that'll be the first time that's ever happened, which is kind of interesting. So, Yeah, I get a second time. They were there on December <laughs> Yes, right. Right, uh, yes. Although not the leader. The, no. the dear leader was... Uh, no, was he, sent, he sent some, some people. Yeah. Uh, we must never repeat the tragedy of the war, he said. I would like to send this commitment. At the same time, I would like to send a message of reconciliation between Japan and the U.S. That's all. I mean, that's nice. No, yeah, totally. I, I wouldn't expect any more than that. I wouldn't no. expect them to apologize because it's, people are always asking us to apologize F you. It's it's also no. war. You know, I mean, it's a war. Uh, it's it's war, and like I, yeah. you know, I don't expect them to apologize. You know, I, it's, no, that's not what you do. We're not going to apologize. Uh, at least I hope not for for Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Oh. We certainly shouldn't. I wonder if we'll, apo- we'll apologize for will? Iraq now that we have Trump as president. What he would because he, I mean, he keeps saying it's the worst. De- it's the worst right. decision that's been done in a century. Right. Uh, you wonder if he's going to apologize for that. It wouldn't surprise me. Total I mean, disaster, total waste of time. Would really anything that guy does surprise you? No. It's a good point. I yeah. probably should just ask, stop asking about it. Right. Uh, we have some footage, though, from Pearl Harbor from back in the day. The actual uh, day? Yeah, I guess wow. uh, from, uh, I don't know where, where So we're not going to see the, the beautiful channel. Hollywood uh, movie. With, no, uh, no. But, Jennifer know, Garner is not in this and Kate, Kate Beckinsale. Kate Beckinsale. they were both in that? Yeah. Wow. That's, I mean, that's a pretty good twosome, right? How do you, I mean, you're like, how can we make uh, one of the most tragic days in American history more tolerable? Well, there's a way. Kate Beckinsale and Jennifer <laughs> uh, Garner. Yeah, yeah that'll it work. worked. Uh, here is, uh, however, the non-Kate Beckinsale uh, version of uh, Pearl Harbor. Yesterday, December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy, the United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. The facts of yesterday and today speak for themselves. With confidence in our armed forces, with the unbounding determination of our people, we will gain the inevitable triumph, so help us God. I ask 
Congress declare that since the unprovoked and dastardly attack by Japan on Sunday, December 7, 1941, a state of war has existed between the United States and the Japanese Empire. Wow. Mm. Pretty powerful stuff. And yeah, just, that was the next day. Next yeah. day. Yeah. The uh, next day. We, we didn't wait on that one. No, we did not. I was going to say, what was the October 7th we went to war on about September 11th? It took almost a month before wow. we, went, we went against Afghanistan. In 1941, things happened a little quicker. Mm. And, and I, the last time America's ever declared war, I believe. Uh, I don't think we did in Korea, right? That was a U.N. operation. Um, and, and Vietnam, we certainly didn't. We haven't in Iraq or Afghanistan. Uh, so I, I think that was the last time we ever declared war on a nation. Pretty amazing. And we did it right that time. We, we, when we yeah, went to we war, be, yeah, we that. went to war to, to finish it. It's interesting, too, his confidence and his, uh, his positivity there in the message that we yes. would prevail. I mean, there was no indication of that at the beginning. There was, we, we had just had our fleet in the, in the Pacific virtually eliminated uh, and we were not up to speed to to get on war footing immediately and fight against powers like uh, Japan and Germany. And so the fact that we did all that it, it is pretty miraculous. It was it was a pr- pretty amazing time in in our history. And you and, know, I mean, this is how you get the uh, the name, the greatest generation. Yeah, right? <laughs> when, that's right. When you pull stuff like that off, that's right. And you get that name, and they did, and it uh, makes you proud. Well deserved. Yeah, I mean, it's it's and it's it's amazing to look back at that. I mean, and you think about it too. Really, it's the less threatening part of the war. I mean, yeah. I, you know, you go back and you look at that, and, and Japan, I think, in, a, in many ways, gets uh, underrated as a threat in the war because of the fact the Nazis were so bad and all the terrible things they did. But it's like, I mean, Japan's the one that actually attacked us. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were, they were they awful. Were man. What awful. they did to the Chinese was oh my god unthinkable glenn was talking about on the radio today they killed millions yeah. having a beheading contests yeah it was uh oof. they they were absolutely brutal through that yeah um and you know the nazis have you know have their own horrific part of history but it is true that like for at some level the japanese is overlooked because of just how the scale of what the nazis did uh, but they both deserve, uh, you know, the uh, real scrutiny. Um, and, you know, looking at, uh, you go back and uh, look at this. We, I think, you know, we didn't want to go to war. Uh, many people in the, the country as a whole did not want to go to war, even with the Nazis doing what they were doing. And mm-hmm. we didn't know all the details at the time, but we didn't want to get jump in the middle of that. I mean, we were holding our government back, really, until Pearl Harbor. Right. And if they didn't, you know, you wonder if they didn't, you know, go after Pearl Harbor, would the thing have been completely different? Would we have waited so long that the Nazis were not able to be stopped? I mean, it's certainly possible. Yeah, it is. If they have held back for another year and yeah. didn't do anything aggressive towards us, we may have never jumped in. Who knows? Um, but obviously after that, there's no question. So thank you to all our veterans, to everybody who Jeffy. have put their lives on the line for our, I mean, You're a, welcome. our real veterans. You're welcome. Our oh, patents too coming up. In a so second. not like Jeffy. You not said like our Jeffy. real veterans? I said real ones. Ones that actually have yes. served the country? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, Again, so, you're welcome. No, no, yeah, no, we said real not veterans. Not, not, not real. people who are executing stolen valor. Right. Uh, it's the way they, that's usually the way they frame it when you go to court for it. That's, uh...
this always pisses me off. This is one of my pet peeves. Uh, there's a legal reason why public Christmas displays often feature at least one reindeer. You know why? I do not. The Establishment Clause of the First Amendment. Because when you put, like, let's say you put a nativity scene mm-hmm. in a public square, mm-hmm. what does that do? It's, it's That's obviously Congress making a law Wait, but- that establishes a religion. And you can't do that. <laughs> That's not what that is, Pat, <laughs> at all. No! That's what I've been trying to say! I, I, this pisses me off in every instance. Uh, okay. A courthouse can, uh, can a courthouse or a public park feature a nativity scene? According to the Supreme Court, maybe not, or at least not unless it includes a menorah and a plastic reindeer, too. In the 1984 case of Lynch versus Donnelly, court established a precedent. And that, of course, is what we go by now. We, yeah, we go we by a precedent yes. that somebody yes. else came from. Don't worry about the Constitution. That's got nothing to do with this anymore. It's some other case. So it, it, it's pathetic decision on pathetic yeah, decision. It's all case law. It just drives yeah. me out of my mind. Um, so it became no, known as the reindeer rule, legal standard that has governed public displays of holiday cheer ever since. Case hinged on a Rhode Island display that was owned by the city. Uh, the display is sponsored by the city to celebrate the holiday recognized by Congress and national tradition and to depict the origins of that holiday. These are legitimate secular purposes, whatever benefit to one faith or religion or to all religions. Inclusion of the crèche in the display effects is indirect, remote and incident- incidental and is no more an advancement or uh, endorsement of religion than the congressional and executive recognition of the origins of Christmas or the exhibition of religion, blah, 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 blah. So it's this huge explanation where they decided that if you just put the secular reindeer in there, right, that negates the a... religion thing. So, so asinine. It, Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of a religion. Have you ever been to, Pat, uh, um, a reindeer, by the way, uh, a nativity set without a reindeer is not Congress establishing a law to establish a I, I totally agree. Um, 100% you're right. Um, in addition to that, uh, you ever been to, like, one of those areas of the United States where it's, like, not... It's the culture is so different. You almost don't even know you're in the United States. I, Little Havana is a good example of that uh, near Miami, where like it is mm. legitimately mm-hmm. just another country for a few blocks. Like mm-hmm. uh, the the signs are all in different languages. No one speaks. Yeah, uh, Chinatown. Not everyone, but like, like many that. people don't mm-hmm. speak English. Chinatown's another example. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, there's a lot of places like this around the country, and I think honestly they're. You know, it's cool. I mean, it's mm-hmm. cool that you have these little, like, nooks of, of like, different cultures and things. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but, like, if you went to, let's say, uh, uh, Dearborn, Michigan, and you went to a heavily Islamic area, and you went to the town hall in that area, and they had uh, a Ramadan display and not a Christian display, are you, would you be protesting? I would, oh, I would, I would burst into flames. Yes. I'd act, actually I'd spontaneously be, combust. Yes. Really? You would be that upset? If we were walking around there and you saw I that, you wouldn't, wouldn't come back with other friends and just wouldn't march care. and carry signs? No, if you went to a heavily, 
care. If you went to a heavily Jewish area, which there are and many in the there are, States. and you do, and, and you they have see a it, and it's a menorah, respect. and, you go, oh, and not, not any Christian nice. trappings. That's kind of fun. Would you at all oppose yes. them? Nope. No, no, not, not at all. It's, it's so ludicrous. It's just so stupid, not. and it's got nothing to do with the U.S. Constitution. Yeah. Um, it's got you, nothing to do with how it. How much time do we have? Three minutes? Yeah, we, you want to do the Because I was going to say, let me give you one. What's that? Okay. You want to trailer another? I was going to give you one other thing on this particular angle we're going now because it's so patently ridiculous and it's one of those things where um you you see the the transparency of these people when you actually drill down a little bit and it has to do with um uh the uh here is this it of course, I'm finding every other email from these people. Um, but it goes into the list of things, and it goes to these um, atheist groups that instead of uh, going and protesting things like this, where are they when and there's an Islamic display? Where are they when there's mm-hmm. a Jewish display? Where I mean, an Islamic display is a great example because of the fact that they almost, they'll overtly tell you the reason they do it, don't do it is because they're actually scared uh, of the repercussions from Islamic extremists when mm-hmm. they don't care because Christians never do anything about it. And Mormons never do anything about it. So they don't, I, not to separate the groups, but I'm just saying that in, mm-hmm. I'm thinking of the... Um, uh, the stupid play was, was right. in my head, but specifically, right. uh, uh, you know, the, the dumb uh, South Park Book thing. Of Mormon but, play. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, there's not that, there's not that reaction, so they don't care. Right. Um, but like, isn't that just? I don't know. What's the word? Cowardly. Yes. Right. Like, if yes, you actually care about these things, then come yeah, out and criticize all the groups. Yeah. Go out and protest uh, the yeah. Islamic, uh, the Islamic displays. <sighs> Do but, it. Yeah, but and the reason we don't do anything is because we're. I, I guess we're trying to be loving. We're trying to be inclusive. We're trying to be. Uh, we've, and I think we've been somewhat convinced that. Well, yeah, that is true because the Constitution does say you can't offend anybody else's sensibilities on religion. No, no, it doesn't say that. No, it doesn't say that. It must. No, it doesn't. I mean, should we directly try to offend people's sensibilities? No, but the vast majority of us are Christians, so there's nothing wrong with showing Christian displays, and there's no guarantee of equal space in these things. When Satanists show up and say, well, we need to have a Satan display there, too, because you've got a nativity. No, you don't. No. I'm sorry. No. We're not going to. So shut up and get out. That's, that's what you tell so, them. Oh, wow. That seems hurtful. <laughs> <laughs> but it's okay to hurt their feelings sometimes. No. They'll get over it. What you don't do with the Satanists is put them in jail for believing as they do. That's what you, you you allow them to practice as they will. Go ahead. Do your weird little animal sacrifice or whatever it is you do. But I don't have to look at your yeah. display, however. Um, I, we don't have time to go through this whole thing now that I finally found it. But let me just give you this quote. This is from uh, National Review, Jim Garrity. Um, Every once in a while, atheists say it out loud. This is a quote. I know what keeps me from critiquing Islam on my blog is just fear. Phil Zuckerman said at a discussion of religious liberty at Georgetown University in Washington, D.C. I've got three kids, so I know I can say anything about Christianity or Mormonism, and I'm not living in fear, which is a testament to Christianity and Mormonism. And that's wonderful. Thank you. (laughs) That's a legitimate quote from an atheist. I mean, wow. It's kind of a, uh, a, a pretty coward. An admission, though. At least it's an admission. And it's yeah. also an admission, by the way, the same thing Bill Maher has said many times, that Christianity does not have. It's not equal. It is different. Yeah, it is different. Equal. The elements that are 
uh, uh, fundamentalist or extreme in Christianity are not doing the same things as the elements of fundamental yeah. and, and extreme in Islam. That is a big difference. But come back in just a second with a food product that I've never seen before. But we're going to try it on the Now, what we have over here is a, uh, a, a course where you too can drive a Chevy Malibu. Nice. Um, it's a no yeah, way that's yeah. not true, no, is sure. it? Uh, they're not letting you drive Malibus, too. Those are Chevy trucks. There's actually uh, yeah, Corvettes in there, which are nice. But yeah, you can go uh, up a hill, though. You can drive a truck <laughs> up a hill. Think about it this way you are, can drive a truck miles an hour. What a dream. A lot of people have dreamed about one day being able to drive a Chevy Malibu on a test truck. Yeah. Test track. Well, you, you got to climb Mount Everest, yeah. see the northern lights, and drive a Chevy Malibu on a test track. <laughs> yes. Those are the three, the three big ones, typically. Paris gets in there as well. Now, here is a, we have a, a mattress firm uh, hut, which you can go and lay down on a mattress. And a lot of people have a dream of being able to one day sleep on a mattress inside of a fair. Uh, Jeffy's got some websites, actually, that deal with this particular phenomenon. It's called uh, Mexican Firecrackers, apparently. Um, and oh, this is meat inside of this. Meat inside of this so Just one. grab one or the other, Jeffy. Grab Do it. And, and dip Stick it in it that. Stick it in your gullet. And eat it. All right? What is it in the Mexican fire? I can't do this. Uh, Why? I can't do it. This smells bad for you. Oh, shit. This smells bad for you? Just a few moments ago, you ate an entire pecan pie that was deep fried. Yeah, but this differs. So what's in there, Pat? Can you describe it? Ooh, it um, smells. As it does. It's pungent. It's I'm not putting the sauce. It's pungent. It's spicy. Obviously, it's deep fried. Spicy uh, goo of Mexican. I don't know. I don't know what that is. <laughs> that does not sound appetizing. No, it does not. Spicy goo of Mexican <laughs> was that quote. Make sure we understand that. And I said it was said by Pat Gray. Uh huh. Not me. Not Jeffy. <laughs> Jeffy not, said it in other contexts. I am not trying this particular spicy goo of Mexican. Okay, put it down and shut up. Why not? Because he's a baby. What's it, what, it was, what, it, what would you say is it? Can you describe it a little bit? Um, I'm allergic. Oatmeal? I don't, <laughs> oatmeal? No. I mean, look at this. I don't know what that is. Yeah. Oh, that's I, like, can't, I can't identify it. I would say it looks kind of like a chicken croquette. The inside of a chicken croquette. Have you ever had one of those? No. What does that smell like, Jeff? You like that? Ugh. Smells good? Take I'm a bite of it. Be a man. Take a bite. I like spicy food, so I, I like it. Okay, Jeffy? I'd give it an 8. An 8 out of 18? Yeah. Okay. Only Jeff? based on the spiciness. If it had meat in it, it would be really good. It, it does have meat in it. It doesn't seem like it has meat I in it. I think it's just like mashed up meat. Yeah, that's the problem. It's, I don't like pureed meat. It is mushy goo. It is right? mushy goo? Not bad, though. Eight, eight, uh, 18 scale? What do you got? Uh, five, six, five. Oh. Uh, 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 uh